Carlos Whitaker's wife, Heather Whitaker, is often asked, so what does your husband do? And this question plagued her for a long time, until one day she finally identified it perfectly. He's a hope dealer. Carlos Whitaker identifies himself as an author, speaker, moment maker, spider killer, and hope dealer. He's amassed a following of over 240,000 Instagram followers who he lovingly refers to as his Instafamilia, where they've raised almost a million dollars in under a year for good causes and for bringing humanity back together. Carlos and I talked today about kindness, understanding, walking with your neighbor instead of fighting with them on issues where you disagree, and some of the life lessons he has learned that he believes in and teaches wherever he goes. Buckle up because you're about to be dealt some hope. Carlos, do people really call you Los or is that just an Instagram thing? No. So my high school buddies call me yeah. Los. Okay. So I would say like when people get to know me in real life, they're like Los. And I'm like, oh, like, you know, but like if people call me Los Wit, then I know they just know me from the internet. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so thrilled that we get to talk today. I found you because of this story that went viral when you were in an airport and you found a guy playing the piano and then you were like, let's get this guy some tips and let's get it going. And he had a story and you had this story and it was very compelling. So I'd love to start there if that's okay with you. I had been at a speaking event in Dallas, Texas. And so like, that's what I do full time is I I write books and then I talk about them, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I guess full time, I I like just share my life on Instagram, but that doesn't pay me yet. So the books (laughs) and the speaking does. And I was on my way from Dallas to Memphis for another speaking event, but my Memphis event got canceled. And so I was a little bummed because obviously that's how I pay my bills. But I'm like, you know, I, I, I'll just go home. So I got rerouted through Atlanta and I had like an hour layover and I was hungry. So I was like, let me go get some Christian chicken. So I, yeah. I, I grabbed my Chick-fil-A and while I was in line for Chick-fil-A, you know, I'm in the airport all the time in Atlanta. I'd seen people playing the piano at various times in this location. But I, I, he just happened to, happened to catch my eye because he was just really into it. This guy's like, yes swaying like Stevie Wonder and like smiling. And I'm like, wow. Like, And then I looked around and nobody, nobody was paying attention to him, but it didn't matter. Like he was just going for it. So I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna grab my chicken. I'm going to pull up a seat right next to the piano. So pull up a seat next to the piano. And I don't know, like five feet away from him. And I'm just looking at him, kind of bobbing my head. And he looks at me and I look at him and we're kind of vibing together. And he's like, oh, look, this guy's like really into me. Right. And so he stops playing like halfway through a song and he comes over. He's like, what's your name, man? I was like, oh, my name's Carlos. What's your name? He's like, my name's Tony, man. Thanks for listening. And I, you know, he asked me about me. I asked about him. Find out he's on dialysis 12 hours a night. And I, honestly, at, the, at, the, at this point, I, I was just, all my, my whole purpose was just to listen to him, just so that he could see somebody see, right? That, that's, that, that was the whole, whole point. Yeah, totally. that's it. So then, then he goes back to the piano after we talk for a few minutes. And I noticed his tip jar has like 15, 20 bucks in it. And then it just hit me. And I was like, wait a second, like, why don't I go ahead and start live streaming and just ask my, I call them my Insta Familia, how much of a tip we can give him in 30 minutes before I have to take off to go find my next flight. So I put up his cash app, put up Venmo, started, started the whole thing. And so he's just up there playing and has no idea that like 10 minutes into this little experiment, I think we'd raise like 
$3,000 and like 15 minutes, it was $5,000. And (laughs) by the time 30 minutes hit, I had $10,000 ready to give him. And so I called him back over to me and I said, Hey man, what's the biggest tip you've ever gotten? He's like 600 bucks. I said, I said, man, that's a big tip. I said, um, but what would you do if I told you that I'm about to give you a $10,000 tip? And now of course I'm recording the whole thing. His jaw drops and he freaks out. He's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, it's not me. I said, I've got this community. There's about 160,000 people that, that just love you and appreciate you. And so do you have a Venmo? And he's like, no. I said, okay, do you have a cash app? He said, yes. So I, I dumped as much as I could into the cash app. And then I created a Venmo for him in that moment. And I said, I said, let's go ahead and dump this <laughs> into your Venmo. He's freaking out. By the time I flew home, there was $60,000 that had been donated to Tony. The video had gone wow. viral by that point. The, but the yeah. next day we were on Good Morning America. It, it had kind of gone everywhere. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, that whole moment, of course, it, it shows a couple of things, right? It shows the power of, of community coming together in small in small pieces. Most of those donations were 3 to $5. Like they weren't yeah. like really big. But the second thing is Tony was, Tony was just so overwhelmed by just humanity. Like he's like, I, I'd lost all hope in humanity. Like, and to know that none of these people even know who I am. They don't know who I voted for. They don't know what my vaccination status is. They don't know anything. They just came together to, to love me, blew his mind. And so, you know, we've been, uh, we've become best buds ever since. And we, we, we probably text every other day and we talk on the phone at least once a week. And yeah, so that was kind of, that was a definitely a moment that I saw I think I saw it go viral because I think people in this season are just so desperate to come together. People are just yes. so tired of coming apart, so tired of being divided that mm-hmm. I, I just think little moments like that is what caused that thing to steamroll and to blow up. And so, yeah, it was it was an incredible moment. So beautiful. I love it. It was so inspiring to me, too. And it definitely a pivotal time where everyone's, like you said, people were just kind of... Oh tired of feeling the weight of the world. And it was such an uplift to me and everybody else that saw it. So I loved it. So good. Thank you. So tell me how you get into the motivational speaking space. How did that happen for you? What is your story? How did that come to be? Yeah, great question. So, okay. So my, my dad is a uh, a preacher from Colón, Panama. He he is a, a preacher from Primera Iglesia Batista de Colón, Panama. He was a Grew up preaching. And that's the one thing I knew I never wanted to do. Like, I was like, nope, my dad did that. I'm not going to do that. So (laughs) I went a completely different direction. And I started a band. And I started a band. And we started finding some small success in LA. Now, the whole time I I had this band, I I started a blog. I don't even know if people that are listening know what a blog is anymore. Well, (laughs) my listeners are... I'm a blogger too, so they know. Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. (laughs) So back before Instagram, uh, we we had these things on the internet where we would write on, post our thoughts. And so I had a a blog that I started writing in, gosh, like 2007. And I would write every day. And I noticed more and more people were reading the blog. And this is all I was doing music. And so as my music career continued to progress and grow, I would say slightly grow. Like it, I, wasn't, I wasn't selling gold records or anything, but I was, I was making an, a living with, you know, traveling and uh, with yeah. my band. The actual, like the, the growth of my blog and my words that I was writing was astronomical compared to what I was doing singing, right? And so I just remember, I'll never forget my wife and a bunch of other friends always just constantly telling me like, you know, like you're a good singer. I mean, you're okay. But you're really, 
you're a really good communicator. And I was like, huh, like I didn't know whether to be offended or, or not, but I, those words just kind of kept coming to me. And then I was leading worship at a church in Atlanta at the time. And it was a really big kind of evangelical mega church. And the pastor came up to me and he said, Hey, you know what? You know, the reason why you're so good at this isn't because you can sing again, another person telling me this, they said, it's because when you walk up on stage, everybody feels like they're your best friend and you can't, you, you can't learn that. And so anyway, I'm just letting you know, take that for what it's worth. And so that was kind of the catalyst for me to go, I wonder if, I wonder if I could talk, like I'm really good at talking between songs for 30 seconds. I wonder if I could do something for 30 minutes. I started anyone that would have me. I, I mean, I'll, I'd speak it eighth grade birthday parties at a bar mitzvah. Well, like whatever, like for free, like, Hey, let me, let me talk middle schoolers here and there. And I just kind of started cutting my teeth, like on a, on a bunch of free, I would speak to anybody. I'd speak to, I practiced speaking to my dogs in the backyard. And I just was like, I think I could get better at this. And, and then I also started um, uh, asking the people that were booking me to sing. Mm -hmm. If I could, if I could speak, it was so funny because not one of them said yes. They all were like, oh, no, that's okay. Like we already have our speaker for the event. But if you don't want to sing anymore, that's fine. Here's your deposit back. Long story short, I had a, I had a moment where I decided to email. So this was probably 2014. I decided to email because I, I just felt like God was telling me, you need to stop singing completely. You need to put a stake in the ground, put a fl your flag in the ground and say, you are a speaker now. A speaker now, this is what you do. So I did that. I, I kind of went on Instagram and on Twitter, all those spaces in that at that point in time and said, hey, I'm no longer singing. I'm now speaking. Here's the email to book me. And then I emailed every single singing event that I had the rest of the year and I canceled them all like in wow. one email. And I said, but if you want a speaker, I'm your guy. Well, sure enough, for the next seven days, like I'm just crickets, like nobody is is booking me. And I'm thinking I made the biggest mistake of my life. Like I've just ruined my life, ruined my career. And this is so cool about, oh, this is what it was. It was seven days after I sent that email and I'd not gotten one single email. I got an email that went to my spam folder from the White House. And, and I thought that it, it was, obviously it was spam because like, wh why would the White House be emailing me? So I get a phone call from my publicist and said, hey, did you get the email? I was like, no. And they, she said, go check your trash, go check your spam. And I opened up the email and it said, the White House would like to invite you to be the keynote speaker at the president's Easter prayer breakfast in the East Room of the White House next Tuesday. And so let me tell you, what happened was that the president had actually seen a video of me singing with a homeless man that had mm -hmm. gone viral. And he looked at his faith and family secretary, Joshua Dubois at the time and said, I want that guy to come and give the remarks at the Easter prayer breakfast. So... Here I was, my very first speaking event ever was in the East Room of the White House. And I tell people that story because I tell people that those seven days felt like the desert for me. Like I was, I, I almost went back and emailed everyone and said, I've made a big mistake. You can, I'll come to your event. I'll come do this. But like when God puts something on your heart and you, and you obey, it's not, you're not just going to see things happen the next minute, right? They're like a lot of times there's going to be a lot of that growth happens in the waiting. And so those seven days felt like seven years for me when I finally got that first booking, right? Like I'll never be as nervous the rest of my life speaking at any event as I was that first uh, Easter prayer breakfast. And so it was amazing. It was an amazing event. The president was super kind. That's kind of how I started speaking. And then, you know, I would say I, I spoke in the faith space 
the next four or five years. And then as soon as the beginning of 2020 happened, and I kind of started to talk on more things, I think, uh, global to humanity as opposed to just in the faith space. I saw our platform begin to grow. I saw more people outside of the faith space come in. And I began to be invited to speak in a lot of companies, a lot of corporations on just the state of being human and the state of like, like what, what does it look like to be a better human? And that's been fun. I've done a lot of diversity talks at a lot of big companies. And so now I would say that 80% of what I do is in the corporate space. 20% of what I do is in the faith space, but I'm just having a blast. And I never thought I'd be doing this all those years ago when I was struggling to have four people buy my CDs at my merch booth after my show. (laughs) Wow. What a cool story. And the White House. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. (laughs) First gig. (laughs) First speaking gig ever. It was crazy. Wow. That's so cool. Well, I'd love to talk more about the humanity piece. And I love that you say... We don't stand on issues. We walk together. I think that's really powerful. And I'd love to hear more about why you believe that so strongly. Um, Here's the thing. I, everybody, everybody is passionate about their convictions. And I I am, I have a lot of very strong convictions and I believe convictions are very important, but what I don't want people to forget is that their convictions are many times placed on the backs of actual humans that are suffering, whatever it is that their conviction is about. Right. And so that that could be a thousand things, right? There could be a thousand different things. We won't go dive into them because everyone can think of all a thousand of them right now off the top of your head, whatever it may be at this current moment, when you're listening to the podcast, you're passionate about a certain policy or conviction or whatever it is issue, but Mm -hmm. issues aren't issues. They're actually humans. What I've learned and something I love to teach on constantly is empathy. And what I've learned is that you can still be passionate about an issue, but if you're not in relationship with a person that is, that is that issue, then all you have is an opinion on an issue. You don't have a relationship with that issue. Once you have a relationship with that issue, with this, which is a person, everything changes. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that your conviction and your opinion is going to change. But what it does mean is you're going to develop empathy that may, it just, it just may lead you to be able to understand more holistically what the other side, quote unquote, is feeling. So, you know, yeah. I, I use this example all the time. And again, I, the, the statement is, I don't, when people ask me, Carlos, where do you stand on, you know, LGBTQ? Where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on the death penalty? Where do you stand on all these issues? I always say, I don't stand on issues. I walk with people. What does that mean? Okay. This is what it means quite simply. We'll rewind back to summer 2020. Black lives matter and blue lives matter, right? So we had, we had like a divided country. People were like, no, this is my opinion on the issue of black lives matter. This is my opinion on the issue of of blue lives matter, whatever it may be. This is just for example, so everyone can kind of get it. I told people that summer, I said, listen, you can be passionate about one side or the other, but if you are a Black Lives Matter protester and you are not in relationship with a law enforcement officer, then you only honestly have half of a truly, a true opinion formed because Mm -hmm. you, you are not getting a holistic example of it. I was very passionate that summer about Black Lives Matter, about no knock warrants, about all of these things. And I realized halfway through the summer that I had not poured into any of the relationships with law enforcement officers that I had. Like in my wedding, I had a LAPD SWAT team member that I had not talked to one time all summer. So guess what? Wow. I Marco Poloed him and I said, Hey Matt, I said, we, we got to talk. And next thing you know, my opinion on the issue of no knock warrants. Now he, he serves no knock warrants. 
So suddenly it went from like an opinion, uh, an opinion of an issue to, oh my gosh, this is Matt and what Matt does every day. So Matt began to tell me, hey, Carlos, if I, if I don't knock on the bad guy that I uh, knocked on his door last night, he had two shotguns with 12, 12 gauge shotguns ready to pump through the front door, which means that your friend Matt would have gotten shotgun shells in his stomach. Would you have wanted me to not knock or would you have wanted me to knock, right? Suddenly, guess what happens? I no longer have an opinion on an issue. I have a relationship with Matt. So I did it the other way around. I said, okay, Matt, here's the thing. Cause Matt was very big into like the blue lives matter and black, black lives matter are the, is the epitome of this going to send us into socialization yada, yada, yada. I said, but what I want you to do is we're going to trade. I'm going to go on a ride along with you and you're going to come to a Black Lives Matter march with me. Mm. And, and so guess what we did? We stopped standing on issues and we started walking with each other and it changed everything. Did his opinion on, on policing change? No. Did my opinion on, the, on what I thought Black Lives Matter was standing on, what meant change? No. But what it did is it allowed me to understand where he was coming from. It allowed him to understand where I was coming from. And that is all I'm saying. Like, if we listen to understand as opposed to listening to reply, it really is going to accelerate healing in our country. And so that's a very, you know, divisive issue I just talked about. But I mean, this can be every single day. This can be in your marriage. This can be with your kids. You know, this can be like, hey, are you really, is this going to be the point of contention in your relationship that you're going to be like, that's it. I'm drawing a line. Or are you truly going to walk with them? And I'm telling you, that is what we need That's as humanity to come back together. It's not to all agree. It's not to mm-hmm. all come to a place of like, oh, yeah, we're just like this melting pot of like utopia. No, it's to <laughs> say, I see you. I disagree with you, but I will walk with you and I will love you and I will respect you. I love that so much. And you just mentioned it could be in your marriage or with kids. And I love that you've discussed how to navigate difficult conversations with those that you love. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think yeah. it's harder with people in oh, yeah. your home, in your yeah. close circle, because sometimes those relationships can be even harder. Cause probably with your friend Matt, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be a, walk a little more gently than maybe you would with Absolutely. your closest family members. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I tell people all the time, like, I'm going home for Thanksgiving. I can't stand my my aunt. Trudis or whoever it is that I saw anymore because of what she posts on Facebook. And I'm like, okay, so wait a second. A year ago, before everything went nuts, did you love your Aunt Trudis? Yes. Okay. A year ago, before everything nuts went nuts, do you believe that your Aunt Trudis still held the same beliefs that she just suddenly decided to post on Facebook? Well, yeah, probably. Okay. So since you absolutely adored your Aunt Trudis before she decided to proclaim out loud, why in the world would that be any different now? So you're never going to have another Aunt Trudis. Like, like you will never have another relationship like her. So why are you going to disavow because of, because you might have a disagreement politically or a disagreement sociologically or wh- whatever it may be, just make a decision that, that you don't have to talk about this kind of stuff. Like, that doesn't have to be the center of every single one of your conversations. I mean, I don't know when we've all decided that in order to be in relationship and love people that are really close to us, they have to align to all of our political beliefs. Like that is mm-hmm. asinine. Like, like that's absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. I'm telling people all the time with when it comes to say you have parents that have differing opinions than you and they're very passionate about these things. I think it's okay to create boundaries 
to create safety in your relationships. Just just know that you can't lose relate. The relationship is more important than the opinion. If you can if you can make sure that you're constantly pouring into the relationship, you know, find that thing that you 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 both agree on. For for me, one of my best friends, closest friends on the planet, we disagree politically. We disagree like. We, I mean, we're as far apart from each other when it comes to most of this stuff, hot topics, when it comes to COVID, all the things like we really, really don't see eye to eye. And we, we were having, we began to have a hard time in our relationship. Now we talk to each other every day. You know what I, yeah. I did? I said, what we're going to do is I'm going to find the thing that we agree on mm-hmm. and, and the thing that we can root for together. And you know that what that was? The Nashville SC MLS soccer team. We were both oh. <laughs> super fans. So you know yeah. what I said? I said, we are buying season tickets to the Nashville SC game. And every week when there's a home game, we're going together. And guess what we're going to talk about? The Nashville SC soccer team. We're going to talk about soccer. We're going to talk about the thing that we're really passionate about. Well, guess what? We started talking more about that and the thing that we agreed on and loved together more than we were talking about the other things. And I saw our relationship begin to heal. And I realized, guess what? Like his opinion on whatever hot topic in that moment is, and my opinion on that hot topic actually is doing nothing good for our relationship. Like it's not making it better. It's not like, let's find the thing that we can agree on. So I'm constantly telling people, find the thing that you both are passionate about, that you both love. Trust me, there is there is something. You can find mm-hmm. it. Find that one thing and go after it and enjoy it and love it. And just know, guess what? You're not going to agree on everything, but you can still love the person. So good. So well said. All right. Another thing that I just really touched my heart that I really would love for you to talk about for a minute was the thought of comparative suffering. This really touched me when I read that post of yours about that. So can you explain what that means? I I think that with the with the acceleration of people having deciding to display their their passionate arguments and opinions on every single subject that comes up we can get into a danger zone where when somebody that you follow or a friend online suffers through something what we do is we tr- uh, and and actually i believe it comes out of the kindness of our hearts i believe that that when people try to compare your suffering to someone else that's maybe going through something worse than you what they're trying to do is make you feel better what they're trying to do is is say oh but look someone else has it worse than you do like it's not that bad. Like it's not that bad, right? Yeah. But what you're actually doing, that actually isn't helping the person that you're saying that to. What that's mm-hmm. actually doing is helping you because what you're doing is trying to make yourself feel better about mm-hmm. the pain that you're seeing your friend go through. This is a big step when I train people on empathy that um, whenever people are struggling with empathy, it's because I, I call them the, it's not so batters, right? That like, mm-hmm. those are the people that are like, well, it's not so bad because I know that that you're going through stage one colon cancer, but guess what? Like my friend's going through stage four. So man, at least you've got that. And 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 you're you're comparing that one person's suffering to somebody else. And what I try to tell people is, people's pain is their pain, and it's the it's the only litmus te- litmus test that they have to to go against. And so right. I put that post up because 
we had these storms come through Tennessee, these tornadoes. And my house had a couple shingles blown off and like I, we lost power for three days. And by the third day, you know, it was freezing cold outside. Like I was done with not having power. And so I got on Instagram and I was like, guys, like it's, it's kind of tough not having power. And someone was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you compare your, that you'd say that you're having a hard time with no power. There's people that lost their lives in wherever Kentucky. And I was like, wait, 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 wait a second. Like, let's not compare our suffering to other people. My pain is as much as I know. When my daughter was in the hospital for 21 days in 2019, okay? Mm-hmm. A lot of people walk that journey on Instagram with my family. That was the worst pain we'd ever been through. We knew that there were people two floors up that had been in the hospital for two years that had probably suffered way more than us, but it still didn't lessen the pain that we were going through. I just try to warn people to not compare suffering. Everyone's suffering is valid. Everyone's pain is valid. And just to say, you know, if anything, be empathetic with them, feel Mm -hmm. bad with them. Don't feel bad for them. And then that's the difference between empathy and sympathy is you sympathy, you feel bad for someone empathy, you feel bad with someone. And that's what people are looking for is people to just step in and be like, you know what? I know this hurts. I'm with you. I don't know if I can do anything. I just want to let you know that I'm with you. And so, yeah, that's it. That's just it. I think we just need to be careful not to compare sufferings. Yeah. That's so powerful. Cause I, I think you're right. When people mean well, and they say, well, did you know that it could be this bad or this person's going through that, or this thing in the past was so much worse. It invalidates whatever that person's going through. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And it was just very powerful to me to read it. Oh. And and you have a beautiful way with words and, and a way you. of explaining things in, in a way that doesn't attack people, but helps them yeah. to open up their minds and think of it a different way. And I really appreciate appreciated that about that post specifically. Oh, no, thanks so much. So let's talk about the Insta Familia. How yeah. did that come to be and how you guys have given a million do- or almost a million dollars yeah. in under a year? Yeah. How? Yeah. In about, in about seven months. So I, it was January of 2020. I had about 30,000 Instagram followers and they were, they were a powerful, powerful army that, that mm-hmm. would, they supported my family. They would, you know, if I'm, I'm a speaker, I would ask for speaking events and they would book me. And it was awesome. It was, it was this, this, this army. And that, that's a lot for a lot of people. I'm th- I'm not saying 30,000 people is not, not a lot, but I, I began to watch over the, over 2020, as I began to tackle harder issues, I began to watch it grow. By the end of 2020, January 2021, I saw it eclipse 100,000. And then by the middle of summer 2021, I saw it get to 150,000. And then now we're sitting at like 200 and something thousand. And so I watched this thing grow really rapidly, right? I built my Instagram over eight years to 30,000. And then over a year and a half, it exploded. So I saw that people were coming here for different reasons, right? I was like, some people come here for like the fun light stuff that I do. Some people come to talk about when I talk about racism and help them battle racism. Some people talk, come because I talk about my faith. Some people come because, you know, I film the bluebirds in my backyard. Everyone comes Mm -hmm. for different reasons. So I was like, well, we're a family. We're all here for different reasons. When it clicked and when I wanted to kind of name us (laughs) was so last, like, I guess it was last year now in March, I had like the worst week of, of my family's, you know, life. And again, Let's not compare suffering. This was the worst week of ours, right? Yeah. Uh, no, nothing crazy happened. It was just kind of a collective over seven days of like, our chickens got killed, uh, by, got, got attacked. My daughter got in a car wreck. Our house got flooded. Our dog died. My wife broke her wrist. Just kind of one thing after another. Like when it rains, it pours. Oh, just ne- just yeah. every day to where I was like, God, like what is happening? Like, this is horrible. And then I had a friend, Sharon McMahon, 
just on her Instagram decide to say, Hey, I've got a friend of mine that's, that's down and out. Let's mm-hmm. just bless him. And mm-hmm. I watched uh, with my jaw hanging wide open. I watched our family be given enough money to pay for all of our debt to be paid off. Like in 24 hours, like I, it, it was only co- going to cost like $15,000 to fix my basement. Right. Like I, and, and I'm a working man. I don't want to give her my Venmo. I was like, I can pay my own bills. I don't need anyone's like sympathy money. Mm-hmm. Well, it was more than sympathy money. Like it was, it was a lot of money and our family's life was changed completely because of generosity of all these strangers. So I'm thinking I'm not worthy. And then I'm thinking, well, like who is worthy? And then I, I, I realized, you know what? I got to pay this forward. Mm-hmm. And I tested it out. There was a woman on, she didn't even follow me at the time. Somebody DM me about her. She just got diagnosed with epilepsy. She was like 33 years old, had a five-year-old little boy. And she went from n- never having a seizure to having over hundred seizures a day. And she was trying to raise money for a seizure alert dog. And so someone mm-hmm. sent me her, her GoFundMe and I just kind of looked at it and I was like praying about it. I was like, I wonder if my, my Instagram people would ever even do anything like this. And she'd been raising money for a month. She'd raised $9,000. It's been about a month. She was trying to get to $25,000. So I was like, huh, here's a link. And I said, Hey, this is this lady's story. I, I honestly was fully expecting, I don't know, $5,000 more or whatever. And mm-hmm. then I, I checked it. And about four minutes later, when I checked her, her, her GoFundMe, we'd reach the goal of, of $25,000, like in five minutes. Right. And I was like, what in the world? And then next thing you know, it was at $50,000. And that's when it hit me. Like we, okay, wait a second. These people that follow me are, are givers. And then, so as soon as we did that and we got her dog and paid for a lot of medical bills, everyone's DMing me. Okay. What's the next one? What's the next thing we can do? What's the next thing we can do? Mm. So then I took, I took us to Brooklyn, Alaska, or to, to, excuse me, to, to Alaska with kids from Brooklyn. And we raised $240,000 $240,000 to build this bunkhouse for these kids from Brooklyn that go to Alaska to train to be wilderness guides. And then we did, and then was Tony, right? And then the piano guy. And then we had, a, we raised another quarter million dollars for these kids in Northern California. And so at that point I said, okay, we, we've got to call ourselves something like, well, who are we? And so yeah. I took a little, I took a little vote. I was either going to be the hope dealers, Los Amigos or Insta Familia. And there was a runoff between hope dealers and Insta Familia and Insta Familia ended up winning. And so there was something about everyone in my community having a name. There's just something yeah. I think as humans that we want to belong to something. We want to name ourselves. And so when I named it, man, I, I just saw it go and just kind of take off. And so now, you know, we're a place we where we love to give. You know, we're, I'm about to do another giving blitz. I haven't done one in about two months on this coming Monday. And so everyone's been itching, ready to give. I just love that I have a community that they just want to give. And it's fun to see how quickly we can literally transform people's lives when we just give two bucks, three bucks, five bucks on a Venmo, whatever leftover change you have from the babysitter or getting paid for Starbucks literally changes people's lives. And so, yeah, that's what the Insta Familia does. And it's fun. Yeah. Wow. That's inspiring. It's so (laughs) fun to see, you know, someone take a group of people and give them a purpose and then see that purpose be fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So cool. You also do something on your Instagram where you try to give people hope. What's that all about? Where did that come from? And and why is that something that's important to you? Hope is the currency of humanity, like like right now. Mm-hmm. Every, everybody, and I think I said this earlier, I think people are just exhausted from mm-hmm. hearing how hopeless everything is, right? I, I just I feel like most of the 
political pundits and most of the accounts that we follow that are maybe giving us our news and we're digesting information from are pretty hopeless. You know, if you're, if you're, it's like, oh, look how bad these, this group of people are. And yeah. look how good you are, but how bad they are. It, they're just constantly pitting us against each other. And I just think that's a hopeless way to do it. So what I've decided to do is, I, I again, I like to say I like to deal hope. And I do that in various ways. On Instagram, I deal hope uh, by telling stories every day. In my books, I deal hope by writing stories. On stages, I deal hope by telling stories like that. You know, I sometimes if I'm at a church, I'll deal hope by preaching a sermon. Whatever it may be, I just know that that's the currency that I see people's hearts moved on the most and yeah. and I'm going to try to do it. And I and and again what I love about my Instagram platform and my podcast, I've got a podcast called Human Hope is the people that are getting hope, they're they're not all of the same belief system, right? Like I mm-hmm. I still it's probably a little bit off now. I I'd say it's probably my platform's probably 40% right-leaning, 60% left-leaning individuals, but they they all come together, right? They come together. I, I've got a whole bunch of people that aren't of the same religious background and faith beliefs that I have. I've got Buddhists and Muslims and all sorts of people that come together and, and they come to me because they feel some semblance of hope. Now, what I'm not ashamed to say, and un, I'm unapologetically going to tell people that the reason why you probably feel that about me is because I place my hope in Jesus. Like, like that mm-hmm. is where my hope comes from. Now you can believe that he's a son of God or not, but I'm just letting you know that that's where mine comes from. And people are so willing, even if they don't believe with my belief system to be like, Hey, that that's cool. Like, I don't believe that, but I'm still with you and you're still inspiring me and you're still pouring into me. And so that's all I want to do every day is I want to deal hope. And that doesn't mean I want to remind people that it doesn't mean that I'm just this happy-go-lucky, like just joy-filled all the time. No, like <laughs> we have difficult conversations on my page, you know, but I yeah. try to have them in a grace-filled way. I try to have them in a way that even people that disagree with me on whatever subject we're talking about can still feel the hope that I'm like, you know what? Maybe we can come together and figure this out together. And I'm not going to judge you. You're welcome here. We may disagree, but I'm really glad you're here because I want to hear from you too. I just think that's hopeful as well. I think people are like, wow, even though I don't agree with this fool, like I, it's hopeful <laughs> that it's it's hopeful that he'll even talk to me and listen to me, yeah. you know? And I'm just like, man, if people could get more of that. So yeah, that's what I try to do every day is just deal hope. Yeah. And I, I like what you said too, about it's not just rainbows and butterflies all day long. Like yeah. Pain and sorrow has a place in life and in progression and growth, the same that the the happiness and joy piece does too. So yeah, yeah, both are very important. Yep. So I'd love to, if you have like one story from one of your books that's inspiring, I'd love to have you just share like a story that you feel like would be a good story to inspire those that are listening right now. I love it. No, I'll I'll go straight to my second book. Um, Okay. This is just a pretty life-changing story for me. I had been going through a season where my the behavior we all have behaviors that we're we, we're trying to get past. We all have destructive behaviors. Every one of us that's listening to this podcast. Yep. And some are maybe uglier looking than others, but we all have these behaviors. And so I had this behavior that was pretty ugly. It had almost ruined everything. It destroyed my family. It had destroyed my work. It destroyed my relationships. I was going to therapy to try to figure this out, right? And so I, I was getting a little bit better in therapy after a year. Like I would, I'd gotten like maybe 60% better with this issue. And so I remember calling my dad one day after my appointment. And I said, dad, like my therapist is like, listen, you're getting better, but you're going to need to really figure out, figure this thing out sooner than later, or else you're going to do it again. 
So I called my dad and I was like, dad, like, what's he talking about? You know, like, can you help me figure this out? And he goes, oh, Carlitos, I know, I know the problem. And I was like, oh, really? He's like, let me tell you a story. I was like, okay. He goes, when I was in Panama, preaching my very first revival, I gave the invitation and nobody came to the front of the church. But this one woman at the back of the church, she was very old. She makes her way to the front and she's crying. And she says, pastor, can you please pray for me? And my dad said, sure, I'll pray for you. She said, can you pray that God would clean the cobwebs from my life? And my dad was like, oh, it's very poetic. So he said, Lord, clean the cobwebs from Ms. Ramirez's life. He said, night numero dos, Ms. Ramirez comes to the front again. She's still crying. And she says, pastor, can you pray harder that God would clean the cobwebs from my life? My dad said, well, I prayed last night, but okay, I'll pray again. So we prayed again, Lord, clean the cobwebs from Ms. Ramirez's life. He said, Carlitos, night numero tres, Ms. Ramirez comes to the front again. She is still crying. And she says, pastor, one more time. Can you pray God would clean the cobwebs from my life? And my dad said he looked at her and said, no, we've been praying the wrong prayer. Tonight, we're not going to pray. He cleans the cobwebs. Tonight, we pray he kills the spider. And when he told me that, I got chills all over because I knew why he told me that story. He said, Carlitos, you've been going to your therapist's office and cleaning the cobwebs. You no longer can clean the cobwebs. You must kill the spider. So that was a, a, a shift for me. So what I ended up doing, I ended up writing a book called Kill the Spider. And very quickly, I define a spider as an agreement you've made with a lie. And I just de- I describe a cobweb as a medicating behavior that brings mm-hmm. comfort to the lie, right? So yeah. we all have, we all love to clean the cobwebs, right? We go down the self-help pile at Barnes and Noble. It's the cobweb <laughs> aisle. Five steps to better marriage, three steps to stop drinking, four steps. To- That's just cleaning the cobwebs. We mm-hmm. have to find the agreement that we've made with the lie. You kill that, and the spider dies. So in my story, I ended up finding my spider and killing the spider. And so now what I love to do is travel and help people find their spiders and kill the spiders as opposed to continuing to clean the cobwebs, which will never go away because the spider is just going to keep spinning them. So hopefully that'll inspire somebody that may be listening to this to be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to stop just cleaning these cobwebs and I'm going to find the root. And the root is always going to be an agreement with a lie. You find that, you find truth to replace the lie and you'll find a little bit of freedom. Yeah. Powerful message. I love it. Thank you. Well, I, this has been so inspiring and wonderful and uplifting for me to listen to. And oh. I know everyone else. I have one last question for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? Yeah, let's do it. Let, let's, let's really sit with, I think, the statement that you mentioned earlier, don't stand on issues, but walk with people. Uh, that's just it. The second you start to feel yourself getting up on a soapbox, remember that that soapbox is actually a human being. And, and it's really hard to stand on top of another human being. So instead, get off the soapbox and walk with them. And I promise you're going to see freedom come to you and freedom come to them. So don't stand on issues, but walk with people. That's an incredible thought. I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time. So, so thank good. you. Thanks yeah. for all of this. Where can people find you if they want to be part of the Insta Familia and read yeah. your books and all the Absolutely. Things? If you want to read my books, they're all on they're all on Amazon. Just search for Carlos Whitaker with two T's. But if you want to be on the Insta Familia, you got to be on Instagram. That's where I, I do that. And it's Los Wit, L-O-S-W-H-I-T. And I just appreciate that you give me the chance to hang out with your, your people. Yeah. Thanks so much, Carlos. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. 
subscribe to our Apple podcast and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Thank you.